0: The Bible reading is taken from Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to, to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner my oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill treated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, Let's ask for God's help as we begin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are gentle and lowly, that your burden is light, that your yoke is easy. Please help us, Lord Jesus, not to be like those who reject your call. And please give us great confidence as we reflect on the message of your kingdom this morning. Amen. Why doesn't the gospel have more impact? Why doesn't the message of Jesus seem to be believed by more people? We know the message is good, don't we, after it's called good news. We know the message is important. But yet, we're all too aware, aren't we, that many people in our society don't seem to respond. On our Christianity Explore courses, Uh, One of the questions that often comes up uh, when the penny finally drops for people and they understand the gospel, the question that then often comes up is, why do not more people believe this? Why are not more people speaking about this? And it's a fair question, isn't it, when we understand its importance? And I don't know about you, but it's very easy, isn't it, for that lack of response to knock our confidence We try to speak about the Lord Jesus, but we're pushed back so many times that we think, maybe there's a problem with the message, or maybe there's a problem with our culture. After all, if a politician doesn't do very well in a general election, they go back to their core message, don't they, and examine what didn't go well, what didn't resonate with the electorate. And it's very easy for us to think something similar about the gospel. Perhaps we're here this morning Uh, And we wouldn't call ourselves a Christian. And and one of the reasons we don't want to make that step is because we just feel if it was this important, more people would follow around us. And of course, for us Christians, we find it, it ever exhausting, don't we? Trying to speak about the gospel, knowing that it often gets rejected. Well, our passage this morning in Matthew shows us why the gospel has the impact it does. Uh, The the headline for this passage is verse 14, where Jesus says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, the word chosen there in Matthew is slightly different to how we imagine it. Matthew's not talking about kind of predestination or or anything like that. Uh, But rather, he's talking about the chosen, God's chosen people. And so his point is that many people will be invited, but few will be part of God's people. The question is, why? Is it a problem with God? Is it a problem with the message? Or is it something else? Well, in this parable, Jesus shows us what the answer is. Uh, this is the third parable we've been looking at over the last two weeks, uh, it splits in half around verse 8. And you get a cycle of invitation and response, invitation and response, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. First of all then, what's this invitation to? Well, it comes in verse 2. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Now, you don't have to be good at cryptic crosswords, do you, to work out what's going on here. The king is God, and the Son is, you've guessed it, the Son of God. But I want us to focus on what the invitation is to. Do you notice? It is to a wedding banquet. Now, why is that important? Well, a wedding banquet, or as we call them, wedding breakfasts for some reason that I have no idea because uh, I never have that for breakfast or champagne. You'll <laughs> be pleased to know. But it, I guess it, it is a kind of grand meal, isn't it? I mean, it's the grandest meal you can imagine. I often joke with my wife, Claire, that our wedding breakfast was the most expensive meal I've ever bought by quite some distance. But it was a meal, would you believe it, that I didn't eat a thing of because my speech was coming up straight after the meal. So every wedding I go to now, I make it a point to just get my money's worth out of everyone else's meal. And we do, don't we? We get plate after plate brought to us. It's wonderful. You even have different glasses for different wine. I mean, it's not what we would do at home, is it? And in the ancient world, it was like that and more some because wedding celebrations would last for days and days and days. And interestingly, this is the picture Jesus uses for him and the call of the kingdom. See, this is a picture that Jesus uses for heaven. Uh, it's a familiar picture. Uh, back in the Old Testament in Isaiah, God promised a future in which he says this, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats, the finest of wines. And of course, Revelation, right at the end in chapter 19, speaks of this wedding dinner, this wedding supper of the Lamb. And it says, Blessed are those who are invited. See, this is the invitation Jesus brings to his people, not to some solitary servitude or some boring existence, but it is to come to the most fantastic wedding party you can imagine. I wonder how you imagine the gospel when you share it uh, with those around you. I don't know if it's just me, but I can often feel like I'm imposing or actually, I'm stirring up things unnecessarily. But actually, when we see it like this, actually, we're doing nothing of the sort, are we? See, this is an invitation to come to a party. A party like no other. When I was arranging my own wedding, uh, ever-increasing number of years ago now, we had no question that those we invited, we were doing a good thing for. I mean, we had all this food, we had a disco. Um, We wanted to invite our friends and family. And the question is, off the back of this, is do I see the gospel the same way? Because often I feel very differently to the gospel, to say, inviting people to a party. See, coming back to that question, why doesn't the gospel have more impact? Well, it's not a problem with the message, is it? I mean, here's the message it is come, enjoy this wedding banquet. But yet it's rejected. So why don't people come? Well, we see a response uh, to this um, wedding banquet. It comes in verse 3. We read that he sent his servants, that's the king, to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Now, wedding invites worked a little bit differently in the ancient world. There would be two sets of invites. I mean, we get a bit of this with our kind of save the date invite, but it was a little bit different First of all, you would send a wedding invitation out to people, and they would reply whether they were coming or not. And the idea was, is that um, based on those numbers, the host would sort out the catering uh, for the wedding. Uh, You know, this is the day before fridges and hot plates and that type of thing. And so the second invite is not the big invite. That is the invite that says, you've already agreed you're coming. Now everything's ready. And you see that, don't you, in verse 4. He says, my oxen and fatted cattle have been sorted; Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. The doors are open. But yet, look at the response in verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. See, imagine, can't you, if you're planning a wedding and you spend thousands of pounds on the, the meal, you pay thousands or hundreds of pounds in Corkage, you pay thousands of pounds for the venue, you get everything ready, you send the invites out to your friends and family and it comes to the big day and none of them turn up. It'd be incredible offence, wouldn't it? I mean, you might take the hint they're saying something about you. And this is the point here. When they resist the king's invitation, it's tantamount to rebellion. See, that explains the extreme response by the king destroying their city. No one in the ancient world would have argued with that response, because these guests have shown complete dishonor in saying they're going to come to the banquet and yet not turning up. And of course, more's going on here. I mean, it does seem a bit extreme, doesn't it, that the host sends his army and destroys the city. But obviously, this is a parable, and it's a story. And it's a story of Israel and their experience. See, Israel were like those who were invited. Um, Moses uh, took them out of Egypt. He gave them the law. They made a covenant with God they responded rightly to the first invitation. They said, we will obey you. We will be your people. And yet when the time came for the son to arrive, well, they ignored him. They ill-treated him and they killed him. And this burning of the city is something that happens a few decades later as the Romans storm into Jerusalem and destroy the temple. But going back to that question, why do people reject, can you see that the problem isn't with God, is it? Uh, Often people imagine that it's God who's got the problem. He's the reason it's rejected. Uh, Bertram Russell, the um, famous atheist philosopher from the 20th century, uh, he was asked that if, um, if he turned out that it was wrong and God did exist and he found himself before God, what would he say? And he said this, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. And that's the kind of attitude, isn't it? We put God in the dock because we think that He hasn't done enough. He hasn't made Himself clear enough. The gospel isn't good enough. But actually, this shows us that none of us can put God in the dock. Rather, we go in the dock. None of us point the finger can point the finger at God because it points straight back at us but where does this leave us? Well, thirdly, we see that actually there's another cycle of invitation and response. See, what do you imagine God might do to that kind of insult? His whole wedding party has turned their back on the invitation, even though they said they would come. Can you imagine him canceling the party, taking back the invitation? Of course. But instead, we read in verse 9 that he commands his servants to go out to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. See, the religious establishment turned their noses up at Jesus, but God doesn't worry. If they're too much of a snob to respond to this invitation, well, the invite will go out to others. I love um, the stories we're hearing at the moment of the vaccine rollout. And uh, One of the great fears, I think, before the whole vaccine thing is stories about it being wasted, and um, there's been a lot of effort to try not to do that. Uh, you may have heard stories about people walking past the vaccination centre and being jabbed in the arm as they go past and that sort of thing. Uh, someone told me an early story about um, uh, a hospital that said we've got a surplus And if you know any friends and family, uh, invite them to come on Friday to get vaccinated. And I think 3,000 people descended on the hospital. But it makes sense, doesn't it? Because there's a great offer here. And actually, we don't want any wastage. And so we find people wherever they are. And that's what God is doing with the gospel. If people are too good for it, like the religious establishment, well, he will go further afield. And that is exactly what happens with Israel. Jesus comes to the temple, and the temple authorities start to question him, start to say, whose authority have you got? And so Jesus starts to heal the blind and the lame. Many in the nation of Israel reject the gospel, not all, but many, and so the gospel goes out to the world. In fact, in the book of Acts, as Paul speaks to a Jewish crowd, and they reject him. He says, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, it's a funny way of putting it, isn't it? We now turn to the Gentiles. We now turn to the nations who then rejoice at Paul's decision. See, God will take the gospel out. The party will happen. And in one sense, we've seen this happen, haven't we, over recent centuries. As Europe used to be the primary center of Christian faith. But now, in lots of ways, it's turned its back on it, and now the gospel is being received by all sorts of people we might not have even imagined. But I wonder how we see rejection. It's very easy, isn't it, to, to kind of get this, um, kind of feel knocked back when the gospel isn't received to see rejection as a failure but actually this turns it on its head doesn't it because the very rejection of the gospel is the very means that gospel goes out further afield see as we share the gospel with others yes we may face rejection yes people may be unmoved by it but we're not to kind of prejudge the results because others will be drawn in. Now, what sort of response do they give? Well, uh, the wedding hall is filled, but as we go on to the fourth point, we see that actually there's a bit of a uh, a surprising response here. I don't know about you, but how do you expect this kind of parable to finish? So the invitation goes out, the people reject, and then uh, God sends the invitation out wider. I don't know about you, I expected it to finish at verse 10. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. That would have been a great talk. Come, enjoy the wedding hall. But awkwardly, there's this um, part in verse 11 that puts a bit of a sting in the tail. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not the ending I expected and it makes my talk this morning a little bit more awkward. But actually that is the point. Jesus is teaching us something here as much as he's teaching us something in the rest of the parable. Now, it's worth noting that wedding clothes here, he's not talking about kind of top hats and tails, as we might imagine. He's talking about clean clothes. See, all people had a kind of wedding outfit, not an extravagant thing. Even the poor people did. It was just a set of clean clothes. See, people had had clothes for working that would get dirty, and then clothes that were clean. Um, Put your hand up here if you've got decorating clothes. I know I have. I've got my favorite decorating jeans. They are absolutely filthy. They're full of all sorts of emulsion. They're ripped. They're baggy. They're horrible. And I have to bury them and hide them away from Claire in the back of my wardrobe. But they're great for decorating because I don't care what goes on them. They look a mess, but that's the point. But imagine I turned up to take someone's funeral wearing my decorating clothes. Would it be completely out of place, wouldn't it? if not hugely offensive. And the king comes to this man, and he doesn't wear the fitting clothes. There's something not quite right. Now, what's the problem? Well, he hasn't responded rightly to the invitation. He hasn't acted by getting changed into the right attire. See, it's important, isn't it, to to understand that the gospel isn't just, say, a repentance prayer, but it is to be changed and to live with Christ as Lord. In Matthew chapter 7, uh, you'll remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus famously says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. See, Jesus doesn't say everyone who hears these words is like the wise man. Everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice. And at the end of the gospel, when Jesus famously sends the church out to speak of the gospel, he tells them to speak and uh, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach in them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, the gospel comes with a requirement to change. See, the gospel isn't just saying a prayer on a summer camp two decades ago. It is changing our whole lives according to the Lord Jesus. And notice this rejection is much more subtle, isn't it? See, this is why I've called it two ways to reject Because the first rejection is pretty obvious, isn't it? This is a a rejection that says, no, I don't want to come to the banquet. But this is a rejection that says, yes, I want to come to the banquet, but I don't want to be changed. Yes, I want the stuff, but I don't want the sun. Now, a lot of us will hear that, and perhaps we've got sensitive consciences, and we think to ourselves, what does that mean for us? We start thinking, am I not clean enough? Do I have to get to a certain level of cleanliness? But you must hear this right. This is a warning against nominalism of saying, I follow Jesus with my lips and not changing with my life. But it is also a reminder that none of us come to this wedding with clean enough clothes. All of our clothes are like, as the Old Testament puts it, dirty rags. And the only reason we are invited to this banquet is not because we've got a set of clean clothes, not because we've scored high on the moral assessment test, but it is because this king has invited us. And he's able to invite us, both the good and the bad, because the son of the banquet has been treated like one rejected. At the end, this king says to this man, tie him hand and foot. And in a couple of chapters time, that is exactly what they're going to do to Jesus as they nail his hands and feet to a wooden cross. He's cast out into the darkness, outside, alone. And in a couple of chapters time, Jesus will do exactly that as he's crucified outside the city, outside his people under the darkness of his father's anger. And Jesus, the king says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus will cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus is going to be treated as one rejected so that we might be invited Now, where does this leave us? Well, coming back to that question we asked at the beginning, why doesn't the gospel have more impact? Well, it's not a problem with God, is it? It is a wonderful invitation. It is an invitation to come to a party to enjoy the wedding banquet. God's not being unreasonable. He's not twisting arms. He is just saying, come and enjoy. See, the problem is with us. We turn our noses up at the offer, and often we don't want to change, as Jesus calls us. But many are invited. Many will respond to this gospel invitation. Many, I know, will have done this morning. And many of us feel like we perhaps don't belong in the church. Perhaps we do feel like outsiders. But this is a great reminder, isn't it? That actually the one thing that matters is whether we've responded to the invitation. And the moment we have, we are part of the king's banquet. And it also gives us great confidence, doesn't it, as we take this gospel out, not to take our cue from the rejection we might face. It's very easy to stop sharing or to lose our zeal at the more and more we face rejection. But actually, this reminds us that there's no problem with God, no problem with the message, and actually many will be invited even if few respond. Let's pray. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. Praise you, our Heavenly Father, for your gracious provision of this banquet for undeserving people like us. Please help us, Father, not to be those who don't heed the invitation, but also don't respond rightly to it. And please give us great confidence, we pray, as we take this invitation out to those around us. We ask for your Spirit's help, by, in Jesus' name. Amen.